M A I N M U M U Main Menu Main Menu Welcome to Main Menu for August 22nd, 2009. I'm Jimmy Pauls. This week, we hear highlights from the Blind World blog and podcast about Syrinx, a Twitter client for the Mac. Then, we begin part one of a training series done in March on scripting with window eyes. That's all coming up on this edition of Main Menu. We, the Main Menu team, would love to hear from you, the listener. To leave feedback, send an email to mainmenu at acbradio.org. That's mainmenu at acbradio.org. If you would like to correspond with other Main Menu listeners, join our Main Menu discussion list by sending a blank message to mainmenu-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's mainmenu-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. If you would simply like to receive announcements of upcoming ACB programming without interacting with other users, send a blank message to announce-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's announce-subscribe at acbradio.org. To find out about upcoming ACB programming on Twitter, visit twitter.com slash acbradio. To follow me on Twitter, visit twitter.com slash jamiepauls. That's twitter.com slash j-a-m-i-e-p-a-u-l-s. To subscribe to our Main Menu podcast, visit http colon slash slash mainmenu.acbradio.org slash rss.php. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Blind World Podcast. And today's date is what? What is it? May so the, the May thirty first. May thirty first. Well, we're in Eastern time. All right, all right. May May thirtieth for some of us, and thirty first for some of us. Just depends on where you are. Um, anyway, um, I'm Shane Jackson, as you know, and we have another roundtable for you. And this one is about Twitter, as the last one was, but it's for Mac users. This one is about the Twitter client Syrinx, S Y R I N X. And we're here to discuss it. We have four people. We were supposed to have others tonight, uh, but they were predisposed. And uh, so we only have four. So I'm going to introduce them from north to south as best I can. We'll start with Dennis Bartlett. Dennis? Yeah, hello all. I am Dennis Bartlett in Toronto, Canada. Glad to have you, Dennis. I appreciate you being here so late because it's already morning where you are. Oh, I'm on vacation these next couple weeks because my wife's gone to dog school. (laughs) (laughs) You got the house to yourself. You and the birds. Yeah, yeah me and the birds. And the pup. Yep. All right. And next we have Oren. Oren, good evening. Thank you for participating. It's morning where you are. Uh, uh yeah, it's it's uh pretty much uh twelve oh I don't know, twelve something on that. Yeah, where are you? Uh, Tell everybody where you are. I'm in uh in New Jersey in the in the US. Okay. Well thank you for joining us. So you've never been on my podcast and I do appreciate it. And uh, next is myself. I'm located in Vestavia Hills, Alabama. And last but certainly not least, we have Jesus Hernandez. Sounds like a boxing name. Yep. <laughs> Sounds like a boxer in the red corner. Yes. Weighing 150 pounds. Jesus Hernandez. Oh, 
That's true. <laughs> Go ahead and introduce yourself, Jesse. Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, this is uh, Jesus, uh, also known as Jesse. I'm at the most uh, southern tip of you guys. I'm actually in Florida. Yeah, you're almost off uh, the map. Yeah, about four hours more south than you're in Key West. <laughs> and that's as south as you can get from me. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, thanks to Dennis, this is an international podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... All right. Well, <clears throat> that's the four people who will be participating, and uh, so we're going to talk about Syrinx. Um, I started using Syrinx yesterday morning. Actually, it was Thursday morning that I started using it, or um, either Thursday or Friday. Actually, I can't remember. Thursday or Friday, because I started seeing tweets from you when I woke up to go to work. Yeah. So. Yeah, and Oren, it was so funny because Oren retweeted where I said, goodbye, Twitter pod. Hello, Syrinx. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that. I, was like, I love the whole retweet feature. Sharing is great. I know, and and we'll talk about that in a second. This thing is awesome, Dennis. How long have you been using Siri? I haven't really. I'm just uh, am participating as an interested person and uh, finding out if I have any questions. That's great. That's that's great. We we wish we wish the others had participated because I was actually um, I actually heard about Syrinx through uh, Lion Court because he he posted about it. And he said, that "Yeah, he was writing about it one night. I'm like, oh, let me let me try this out. I tried the inaccessible version out first because I'm like, I'm, I'm desperate for this." Yeah, yeah. He had said that a couple of versions or one version back, it wasn't, you know, everything was accessible, but one thing and two things actually. But. Yeah, and he said he wrote the author or something like that, or was in contact with the author, and all of a sudden we got a new version. So we do want to give credit to Lion Court at LionCourt.com. That's a accessibility site. And you can follow him at Maxessibility on Twitter. So that's uh, accessibility with an M attached to it because he is a very passionate Mac user. And uh, so we thank him for contacting the author. And uh, next person I heard about Syrinx was Jesse. So you want to talk yes. about Syrinx a little bit and tell sure. Mac users what Syrinx is, where it comes from, what it is. Sure, Syrinx. Uh, you can get Syrinx first of all at mrrsoftware.com. It's uh, totally free software. It's a Twitter client. And I first heard about it on Wednesday. I think Oren had told me about it, or I don't know how I found out about it. I think I found yeah, out. Yeah, I about told it. you about it on yeah. Skype. He had told me about it on Skype, and I'm like, dude, I gotta look at this. And I installed it. Uh, easy installation. You just download a DMG file and copy the files over to your applications directory. You run the program. Uh, put in your Twitter name, your password. And it comes up with your table of tweets, uh, just like, you know, um, Twitter pod or Twitterific or any of those Twitter clients. And you simply scroll up and down your Twitter line, uh, your timeline. Um, some of the very interesting features that it has which some of them I haven't used yet but maybe if Shane has he can elaborate on them. One of them is a bookmarking feature where you can bookmark tweets um, like I, I'm, I'm supposing this would be like if you're going to go away and you do not want to miss any tweets yeah. you bookmark the last one that you were looking at yep. and then you can go right back to it 
Yes. Yep. And it also has a interesting pause and resume feature. Oh, that's very interesting. And I actually tried this today when I went out. I paused it, and left it, it and it running. said resume, didn't it? Yes. Okay. It did say resume, and when I came back home, I hit the resume button. And it said I heard pause. it go. Yep, I heard it go. Yep, been there, and done that. All of a sudden, I saw all of the tweets yeah. that I had missed when I went off. Yep. And I'm guessing it's caching them in the background. It is. And it shows them to you once you get in. That's correct. Yeah, it hides them in. Uh-huh. Now, there. Mm-hmm, go ahead. What's interesting about the layout of Syrinx? TwitterPod is laid out in column. Now, Dennis, you use TwitterPod, right? Yeah, I'm using TwitterPod. Okay, and you know that in TwitterPod you have like five columns. Yeah. Like column one, column two, the name, column three, the tweet, column four, the time, column five, yeah. it's whatever. Column one is a, is an image. If you click on it, it'll take you to their website, whatever. The point of my, uh, the point I'm making here is in, in, in Syrinx, you don't get that. It's just a table that you interact with. Or you don't have to interact with it even. You can just go up and down it. It is a table. On that table, you can you have several options. If uh, in 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 TwitterPod, you could not do this. You had to use the the D command or the the follow command or the you know in TwitterPod you use different commands in uh, that you actually type into your message like uh, D colon or D space at Orinx hey, what's up, and it'll go to his email as a direct message. Well, the weird thing about Syrinx, and I'm not sure if I like it or not, is, and I, I like the fact that you can hit Alt-Shift, or Command-Shift-D, excuse me, Windows users, Command-Shift-D will direct message somebody, but then when you hit Enter on that, it shows up in your table. So you don't know, there's no way of telling whether something is a direct message or a regular, you know, public tweet. Well, I I think when you when you hit enter on, uh, you know, like a direct message, it'll it'll just add like the at sign to it. So I mean, it, you, you mean hit enter on the on the on the person's name? Yeah, yeah. You're right, it, absolutely. But and then and then if you if you uh, it, it'll like if you do a direct message and then go back to the table, hit enter on their name, and then uh, it, it'll just append. But if if you're yeah. up, if you're going up and down through the through the tweets though after that. Your direct messages show up, or at least mine show up. Well, the- yeah, that that's that's an adva- a good advantage though, because uh, the uh, you know you you can you can you can you can see your direct messages in the client rather than you know, checking your email. Yeah, exactly. My question though is, how do you tell? How do you tell after you go back and look the, at them? The- how can you tell which one's a direct message and which one isn't? Yeah, that's yeah. yeah that's you true. Can't tell. Mm-hmm. You can't tell. And that's scary because today somebody 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 sent me a direct message and I didn't know it because it showed up in my timeline and I just I wrote them back and said, "Oh no," and that "Oh no" was supposed to be you know turned out later should have been a direct message. So that's one disadvantage. Now one of the cool things you were talking about, Oren, was the retweet feature. Tell them about the retweet feature because you don't have this in TwitterPod. You have to actually do this manually. Uh, well, the, re- the retweet feature is pretty 
straightforward. You you uh, go to a tweet that you want to send to your tweets that maybe you know maybe your Twitter your tw- your Twitter users aren't following or something, and you want somebody to somebody to know something that you're you're following. So you go to the, the, the tweet that you want to retweet, simply press Command Shift T, and then it'll append an RT at username to the the edit box, and you just press Enter on it, and it'll simply retweet your message, the message. And it's absolutely is, fantastic. Because Twitter Pod and Twitterific, you had to like uh, select the tweet and then uh, uh, Command Shift C to copy to the clipboard and then paste it into the Oh, man. It's hard. It's hard using voiceover, but with 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 Syrinx, it's a cinch. And uh, yeah. you you pointed out that you can hit enter on somebody's name, and it'll automatically let you reply to him. You can also do Alt Shift R or Command Shift R. I don't know why I've got Alt on the brain today, Dennis. <laughs> you must have been working in Windows today. I was. Yeah, I was. I, not on my computer, but on on a client. Anyway, that's right. And uh, Jesse, in the preferences. Well, to have like a bunch of a bunch mm-hmm. of no, I was like, Searing seems to have a bunch of uh, the the um, command shift is is always like you know command shift P is the it's like the the default modifier command shift you know P it goes to you know the user's profile command it's like the uh, that's the central key key command. Yeah, and uh, you pause it with Command U. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I think U. so. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Command U, and it just confuses me because when you pause it, it says resume. I well, that's a toggle, I, I think. Yeah, yeah. I would just expect it to say something like "now paused" or "when you're now resuming." It, it well, when you look in the title. Yeah, I saw that. It says it'll paused. say Twitter. It'll say uh, Searing's paused. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, in the preferences, mm-hmm. it's straightforward. Yes, uh, it is. You can set the refresh interval, just like in Twikini. Mm-hmm. You can set the whether it checks for tweets after you post, which you don't want it to do. No. That causes havoc, causes it to lock up. That's fine. That it, you really no wonder you're overloading the service. You can also change other aspects of the program. Now, what I find interesting is the toolbar. Um, when you go to the toolbar, you've got choices like home, bookmark, friends, and then other toolbar toolbar buttons drop down. What mm-hmm. I wonder is, I know there's a method of going to the bookmarks with a key shortcut or shortcut key. Is there a method of going to the friends list from the main window? Because we'll talk about the friends list in a second. Have you found a way, other than going to the toolbar, to get to the friends list? Nope. Either than going, either than going to the window menu and going to it from there. Sure, absolutely. But uh, they need to add a shortcut where we what, can go to the. Yeah, menu. what they need to really implement, and I'm sorry if I interrupted you, it is uh, that once you open up that friends window, yep, that it stays open, and then you can just do command tilde, command tilde, you know, to switch windows. Yep, and that's it. That's really all that they need to do, because once I haven't really you have that experimented field. with the uh, the friends uh, list yet. I mean, what what exactly? I know. I mean, I I, I, cause I imagine you have like add buttons. I guess you can add thought. You can that directly was, follow people. Yeah, that was my next thing. I was going to tell it for Dennis. You know, Dennis, how in Twitter Pod you have to 
go to the website to follow somebody. Yep. Well, in Syrinx, you go to the friends list, and what it does, it shows a list of people that you are following in alphabetical order. And if you want to add someone and you know their name, you go to add, then you type in their name, you you know, hit uh, open that up, type in their name and hit enter, and they're automatically added. If you don't know their name, the quickest way to get them added is to hit reply to one of their tweets. You know, if, if, you're, if somebody's following you that you're not following, which in my case there were a lot that I didn't even know about, that I'm getting cut, because Syrinx will show you all tweets, that everybody yeah. that's following you. So I didn't know that certain people were following me. I didn't know that Orink was following me until, you know, I started using Syrinx, and then I was like, oh my goodness, he's following me. And so what I did was, Come I, here, man. I didn't know Orin's Twitter name, so I replied to him. Naturally, I said, howdy, you know, glad you're following, and he reciprocated. But I copied his name from the at on, like at Oryx, and I, I copied that, put it in my friends list in the ad dialog, and there he came up. So you can add people by replying to a tweet, getting their username from that, copying it or remembering it, whatever you do, and adding it to your friends list. It's as simple as that. And here's another feature I like that... Uh not Twitter pod, Twitter, you know, Twitter, uh, Twitterific, or any other Twitter client that I've seen has that's accessible. Twitter search, it, you know, the, the Twitter search feature is great because you can, you know, basically search for any you know topic or trend, yeah. and you don't have to go to search.twitter.com anymore. Yeah, I've seen that in OutTwit. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly the same thing. Uh, these tw- trends are like number so and so, number that, right? Yeah. Like Oh yeah, you can you, you can search for. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to have, contain a number sign. I mean, yeah. But, um, and Jesse wanted to talk about a feature that he tried out today. Oh yeah, uh, and I found this by mistake. Um, I was looking at a very interesting conversation, which I really was getting tired of looking at a bunch of tweets about. So I'm like, God, there's gotta be a way of getting rid of this. So I went ahead, went into the preferences dialog, and I found a tab called filter. Yep. Now, what this will do, ladies and gentlemen, let's suppose that a bunch of your friends are twittering about NASCAR. And you're like, oh, I don't care about NASCAR. I don't want to see anything about NASCAR, blah, blah, blah. You simply go to this tab. You're going to see a table. And you will see an edit button, well, an add button and a remove button. You click add and it's going to say word or something like that. It's going to have something in the box. Word or phrase. Yeah, word or phrase. You delete that and then you go and you add whatever you want. And if you want to block or filter out users you add an at and their username and you won't see tweets from them. And I don't see what the point is of filtering users when you can just unfollow them and not see their tweets anymore. Well, the thing I see behind that I think is like if you want to like let's say that they're having a heated debate and you really don't want to see anything from theirs for a while. And yet you want to hear from them tomorrow. Yeah, you can just 
or if you want to follow them, but you don't want to necessarily, like, I'm going to use Shannon as an example. Let's suppose that they're talking about him constantly, and I'm like, sheesh, I'm hearing his name come up every couple seconds, and I don't want to hear it. I can just filter that particular person that's talking about Shane, and Shane this and Shane that, and then anything else that they post that doesn't have the word Shane in it, I can still Your get. Contact is unavailable. Uh, now, yeah. if I now if I ever want to see that again, I can have two choices. I can either leave it in the list but uncheck the box to filter it or because it. each, or you can delete it. Yeah. But Another, it's a really interesting feature. Another good example of that would be: let's say you're on, you're following CNN, mm-hmm. and. CNN's tweeting every few minutes because the space shuttle got trapped in Dennis's backyard and can't get out. And it's it's tweeting every <coughs> 10 seconds or 20 seconds. And, mm-hmm. you know, Dennis is letting the birds fly around the shuttle and, you know, do what they do on the windows. And and, <laughs> and you don't want to read that. So you, you, un, you, 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 you type in CNN, you check it, you know, I don't want to see this. You won't see that. Yet in the morning... Dennis jumps out of his apartment or condo window and and learns to fly, and you definitely want to hear that, then you would uncheck it or delete it, whichever the case may be. Uh, don't know how productive that is, but that is another yeah. example. Yeah. And um, the program is, at, at least at this point, uh, thanks again to, uh, I guess, you know, we, we need to keep uh, thanking Lion Court because he, he pushed the guy or you know, push this, and we do have accessibility in this program. It works very well with uh, uh, Leopard and VoiceOver, very well. Oh, yes. And I saw the, the uh, customizations you suggested, too, Shane. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, where I could, uh, you could use VoiceOver hotspots. Yes. What I did is I put a VoiceOver hotspot on the table and a VoiceOver hotspot on the edit field. So you hit VO1, you go to the table, you read the last tweet, you hit VO2, you're back in the edit field. No tabbing, no enter, if you wanted to do that. It was just something I was doing, you know, mm-hmm. just try to make people's lives easier, give them another option. And I sure. actually, I actually got a kick out of going back and forth, back and forth. I had a, another hotspot set on the number of tweets that was, you know, 49 new tweets, 57 new tweets, 320 new tweets. So I was using VO Hotspot. Yeah, I got about 4,000 now, 4,000. Oh, yeah, something. me too. Yes, sir, absolutely. But the, the, the point is you could take a, a Hotspot and instantly go there. And I was using Jump to Hotspot and Jump to Hotspot to go from one to the other. It was awesome. And if you really wanted to, you can have it. I don't know why you'd want to do this, but you can have it auto-watch a Hotspot, and every time it changes, it can read it to you. Absolutely. You would want that if, say, for instance... The table was the you, you that would that would be more handy in a like a word processing program where the page number was displayed. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say you're at the end of the page and you want to know when you go to page two. It would say page two. Yeah. Page three. Now, page if you four. could do it, now if you could make it do it in Paul Harvey's voice. Page four. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But what would be really cool is if you logged out and it said, "Good day." You can can actually do that. Hello, Americans. Your Macintosh is now on. Yeah. I I had to be very careful. And by the way, mm -hmm. uh, 
Syrinx works great with Braille. I'm a Braille display user and uh, it does work. And uh, so, you know, I encourage Braille users to use uh, to use Syrinx on your Mac. It works wonderfully. Um, and for low vision users, there are many choices as far as changing the font, changing the colors, changing the look of it. Oh, so, yes. Yeah, so it is extremely, extremely customizable all in one little preference window that has like four, I think four tabs. Yeah. Very accessible, very uh, easy to update. And uh, unless you guys have anything else to add, that's no. that's, that's Syrinx. I mean, it's Syrinx. Uh, it, does, it does have growl support for those of you who like using growl with Twitter. Absolutely. Um, I find it that at times it is a nuisance. Yeah, for for speech, it's it's really bad. But you know, especially when multiple tweets come in, it just reads them at once. But it's, it's an awesome feature. Uh, and by the way, um, I have heard Shane, uh, and I hate to go off topic, but I heard from Twikini that we are going to get also trends and searching in the next version of Twikini as well. well. It's perfectly acceptable to mention Twikini here because we are discussing Twitter. We just yeah. happen to be talking about the Mac and Syrinx, but mm -hmm. this is also about Twitter, which means I can bring Dennis in here because we've, we've, we've finished the discussion on uh, Syrinx, and it's free, as Jesse said. Mm -hmm. Go give it, go get it, and, and tell them you like their program. Uh, oh yeah, go go get it by all means. And Dennis, I mean, if you have any questions, now's the time to ask. And then I'm going to ask you what you're using to access Twitter on your uh, phone or other ways besides Twitter Pod. Okay, I don't have any questions except that I just went to try and download it, and all the links were saying dimmed. But <laughs> oh, ah uh, yeah, but yeah, you no, have to use your voice over mouse. Yep, you do, and you have to guess which link it is. Okay. What are you using? 10.5.7? 10.5.7 with the Safari beta. Ooh, okay, because I noticed people that were using an earlier version of Safari were able to do it. But yeah, you just have to you have to guess which link it is, and it's a pain. But the neat thing is, if you get the right one, it'll immediately download. <laughs> yeah. So keep clicking those dim links. I think it's like one from the end or two from the end. I think it says you know, HTTP. It actually has like the setup, you know, dot DMG at the end of it. So you're you right. always have to say that. Right. Yeah, I'll look at that. I'll look at those. Yeah. Anyway. What are you using for your tweeting mobile tweeting mobile tweeter? Uh, jib jib now. And you 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 were using jib jib before, or did you hear our wonderful podcast on jib jib? Uh, I heard your podcast, but I had I had. Um, tried it before and I didn't realize what the, where the edit fields were because the first two, the, your your username and password fields don't say anything mm -hmm. so I asked Steve about it and so he clarified it for me so, so I got our, it. Our podcast installed. was actually helpful to you. Yeah, yeah. Good. You're listening to ACB Radio's Main Menu. The presentation that we're going to do is going to be Four hours, as you know. Or now we got three hours and forty-five minutes. But uh, the session that I did this, I, I actually went through Europe and I did several countries and I did this training class and it took about two days. We have four hours, <laughs> so we're going to be talking really fast, going through a lot of stuff. We obviously had to cut some of the material out there. 
So there's no way we can teach you all of the windowized scripting. It's just, it's just not going to happen in four hours. But hopefully we can give you a taste of it and hopefully make it so that you'll be have some incentive when you get back home to try some things and play with it. That's the only way you're really going to learn. So, Brian, you said you, you'd written a ton of JAWS scripts. You're very proficient in JAWS, is that right? For scripting. Right. So hopefully this will come easy to you. It's obviously a little bit different structure. I think it's, I think it's more structured. I think it'll come easier to you. But obviously you've got the programming background, so that's going to help a tremendous amount. And Bob, I forget where you are with it. Did you write JAWS scripts? Have you ever written them? Um, not, not, no, not really. I'm, I'm just kind of a beginner as far as scripting goes, but I'm very interested in, in learning it. Okay, yeah. So what I wanted to do before we actually get into the scripting creation, I just wanted to go over from a user standpoint of how a user would interface into scripting. And if you guys have both dealt with that and you know that, I don't want to waste time doing that because I'd rather spend a lot more time. But I think it's important that you understand how a user interacts with scripts because I think that does set us apart, especially from JAWS and how you can uh, add a script, take away a script, or play with the scripts and see what scripts are running and all that type of thing. I think Windowize works really well with that. So I want to show you how you do that. And then we'll walk through the process of creating a simple script, a very simple script. You'll do the Hello World, of course. And then we'll show you how you can package that up, and then we'll get into some more serious type scripts. And your head will be bouncing, hopefully, by the end of this uh, when we're done. So uh, obviously, the, the first thing is, what is a script? I'm not going to go through that. It's just a, you know, you can write an external source type thing that it's going to tell Windowize to do something on the side. Windowize has a lot of built-in functionality, obviously. But if you need to tell it to do something other than its automatic or built-in functionality, you need some way to do that. Our set files took you a little ways but it didn't allow you to go into the really ugly applications. Applications that maybe didn't have any keyboard accessibility or had no focus changes or just plain text on the screen is all you had to work with. You had nothing else than that. Set files couldn't always get you there. With a script, you can make that application sing. You can rewrite the application. You can put up your own user interface into that application. You can pretty much control whatever you want. That's all done through this little external source file or little script file that you would actually create. So Windows supports global scripts and application scripts. And global scripts, both of these are unlimited in number. You can have any number of an application script. So I can have any number of scripts running for Notepad or Word or whatever the application is. And I can also have any number of global scripts. So when a global script is, uh, and, and either way, they're all independent of each other. So if I have 10 global scripts running, they are independent of each other unless they were written to be cooperating with the other scripts that are there. But typically, they're completely independent of each other. And the global scripts are launched when Windows is launched. And when Windows shuts down, the global scripts shut down. Or this, the global script could shut itself down earlier if it wanted to, but Windows will take it out when it goes down. So that's global scripts. Application scripts, again, are unlimited. Uh, they're independent, again, from other application scripts, even the same application. They're loaded at the launch of the application. So if you have something associated to Word, when Word launches, the script automatically launches, uh, however many you may have. So it might launch 20 scripts when the Word launches. That's fine. And when the application shuts down, those 20 scripts will shut down automatically as well. Windows will terminate those scripts. Uh, I was going to say something else about application scripts. Oh, uh, so if I have multiple instances of an application running, I will get multiple instances of my script. So if I have a script for Word and I launch Word, and I launch another instance of Word, I have two instances of my script running. And that script can be tied to that application, or the script can make itself become global, or whatever it wants to be. But, but Windows will automatically launch an instance of your script for every instance of the application. Even if the application is already running when Windows is launched, Windows will launch that script for that application. 
The, um, to be able to manage the, sets and the uh, scripts that you might have in your system, and this is the user interface we're going to talk about. You, so you've got Windows automatically running in front of you. I think you're all 0.7.1, right? So you're all running 7.01 of Windows, which is current. I'm running the actual pre-7.1 beta, but for what we're going to be looking at, it's, it's very much the same. So if you want, uh, of course, to bring up Windows control panel, it's just control backslash. So if you backslash, it pops up the Windows control panel. Off of the file menu, yeah. added a new option yeah. in 7.01 or 7.0. And that is manage sets and scripts. Manage sets and everything that the user would currently with 701 deal with scripts is all handled in this pull down menu off of the file menu. So if you open up manage sets and scripts, scripting status on you. So the first option is just scripting status. So if I were to hit enter on this, menu closed, it, on. It brings up a dialog box, and I'm in a list box with three choices I have off, on, and manual start. So this allows me to tell Windows if it's in the off position to not load any scripts. Windows will not launch any script, whether it be global, whether it be application, it just won't launch them. If I set it to on, then scripts will run as, as designed. So when applications launch, the script will launch, global scripts come in, all that business. The third option manual start. Three of three. is manual start, which means Windows won't launch the scripts as it normally would. They'll be there, but they're not actually running. And you then have the option of going in there, and I'm going to show you the dialog, where you can then individually turn on scripts that you want to deal with. So Windows won't automatically launch them, but then you can still turn them on yourself. If you set it to off, you can't even turn them on yourself. They just won't run. So the only reason you would use these things is if maybe you're diagnosing a problem, you, your system's doing something crazy, the first thing our support department says is, what happens if you turn scripting off? So if you go into this manage sets and scripts pull down, you go to the first option, you set it to off, see if you can duplicate the problem. That'll tell you that it might be a script that's causing the interference with whatever problem you're having. And then if we determine that, if you turn it off and the uh, problem goes away, then we'd probably tell you to go to manual start and then manually start the scripts one at a time until the problem comes, and that'll tell you where the problem actually lies. So that's the first thing we typically tell you unless we know what's going on otherwise. But because uh, there's a lot of good scripts that are out there, and we'll show you where you can get all these and everything. But uh, you know, a script is only as good as uh, as the coding of that script, and so it's possible that it may be causing some interference. We can diagnose it this way, at least by turning them on and off individually. So that's how you would just deal with turning them off or manual or whatever. I'm going to leave mine set to on. on. With the lies. So now I'm going to go back yeah. into my Save, phone, yep. back into manage sets and scripts. And I'm in my beginner menus right now, by the way, so we don't see all of the options that um, eventually we'll get to. But this is what a typical user would see, and that's, that's important to know as well. So the second option on manage sets and scripts. Add or remove packages, the dialog. So add or remove packages. This is where the user can actually install or uninstall a script. Just like when your operating system, you install an application, you, you would use the, um, well, typically you just run the setup, but I think you can still go to add, remove, and install applications. But if you want to remove it, you go to add, remove, and you remove those applications from your system. Same thing goes here. So if I hit enter on this dial. Menu closed. Install packages. I want to complete version 2.7.4. I'm going to silence that, but it brought up a dialog with a list view in focus, and it started reading the highlighted item, which for me was autocomplete. That's a script that I installed. So it has headers called name, version, um, package, and install date. This might be slightly different than 701. I'm not sure if we changed some of those columns. But basically, you get the name of the script that you've installed, you get the version that you installed, and you get the date that you installed it all right here. So as soon as you install a script, it will show up in this list. If it's already in this list, then it will just update it with whatever version you just installed. 
If I want to uninstall it, then I would just remove that option. So if I tab around, add a button. So add button is the first one. If I hit enter, it just opens up the standard open dialog that you would expect in any application. And it will then prompt you for the script that you want to install. So it's that simple. Then you hit enter, and it goes right into the install process of that script. If I tab again, remove our button. Whatever option I have selected in my list view, when I hit remove, it will automatically just remove that script. The association's gone, the files are gone, all that is just taken away from my system. So it's very simple to remove. Then what we've added, your version doesn't have this. Check for updates, new button. Check for updates. This will go in all the scripts that I currently have installed. It goes off to our server, it looks at its versions, it looks at the versions I have installed, compares them, and whatever's outdated, it will then bring up a list box of all the outdated scripts and say, these all have updates. And from that dialogue, I can choose to update all of them, or I could just individually pick some and update them, or I can just escape out of it and do whatever I want. But that's a very easy way just to make sure all of my scripts are updated just by doing this one uh, one option. So that is new to 7.1. And then I have my close button. So the beauty of this, though, again, and, and um, I'm not picking on JAWS, well, maybe a little bit, but uh, I just want to compare to JAWS because especially, Brian, I know you're very comfortable with it is that when you install a script with JAWS, you have to basically take it and put it in a file. So whether it be an application file, you've got to take whatever new script that you want to add and you've got to put it in that file. Or global, you've got to put it in the global. And if you muck that file up, you've taken out all of those scripts. If it's global, then you pretty much shut down JAWS. If it's application, then you've removed all those scripts from those applications or whatever. So here, instead of having the user have to go into text files and, and especially trying to remove that, trying to find out what chunks to be removed, this just makes it very simple to do, very simple to add and remove. I think I think one item that I'm not completely clear on at this point is uh, when you talk about scripts, how you're breaking that down as an element. Is the script just a, a are you calling that a, a block, like a function, a script? And so, say Word might have 30 scripts associated with it that handle various things, or is it like in JAWS where they call the entire file of all the functions associated with that program the script? The script can be anything. It can be a single function, or it can be as many functions as you want to put into it, but it's its own entity. Okay. So I can create a script to do 50 functions inside Word. Aaron can go over and create another script for Word that does another 25 functions. We can install them both, and then we have the functionality of all of them together. They're, they're running separately in their own space. They, they only know of their little universe. There's a, there's a mechanism for dealing with conflicts. What if he is trying to trap a similar function that you are, or trying to you know, bind to a similar key or I catch a similar event. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll get into a lot of that when we get into it, but if the script is written correctly and we've made it very easy for them to do that, it's possible you're going to have key conflicts. But we, all of our scripts that we design, and again, we give you easy functionality to do this, allows the user to define their own keystroke. Okay. So if you, you know, Control-Alt-L is conflicting with Aaron's Control-Alt-L, well, then I can go to one of those two and easily change it. And I'll show you how you can actually do that. But if he has a function that's going in and trying to do the exact same thing that I'm doing, well, then that's a problem. I wouldn't install his script if that's the case. I would just keep my functionality there. But typically, you're, you're kind of defined in specifically what you're doing, and you wouldn't install something that's doing a similar function. I mean, there might be multiple versions of scripts. You know, Maybe Jamal puts up a script that does this, Aaron put up a script that does it, and I do. Then you just pick whichever one works best for you. But you wouldn't put all three of them in there, typically, if it's doing the exact same functionality. Two different scripts can hook the same event, though, without any problems. Oh, absolutely, yes, yes. 
Yeah, you can still hook on focus or on field name or whatever, and maybe you're looking for a specific window where this other script is looking for this other window. So you can certainly hook all those things. Okay, so you can extend that way without right. having to replace. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Right. Yeah. So maybe you know his scripts deal with this one word word dialogue, and mine deal with this other dialogue over here. We're all hooking the same functionality, but we know that we're in our environment and when we're not in our environment, and only deal with that. So you really don't see the conflicts, or at least I haven't noticed those types of conflicts. And there's a ton of global scripts that people have written. And um, you know, Jamal is one of them that has written a ton of them. And I, he sent me his environment one time. I forget what he had. What is it? 60, 60 global scripts are launched at Windows launch. And you know, they all happily work. But once we get into the development of it, I think that will become a little bit clearer to you how that actually works under the hood. So I escaped out of the add remove dialog. I'm going to go back into the manage sets and script dialog. Pull down. The next option is script manager, script manager and dialog, which brings up a dialog. I had entered. Menu closed. Dialog. Script manager. Scripts for running applications. S. Auto complete. And I'm going to silence that again. But this again brought up a dialog with a list view in focus that shows me this list view shows me all the current scripts that are running at this time. So I can just look down through this particular list. How many do I have? Auto complete version 2.7.4. Status running script auto complete .vbs. application global description auto complete one of eleven. So I have. I just happen to have eleven scripts. This is pretty much standard. I just installed Windows Fresh, and then I, I installed a couple extra scripts after I did that. We install six scripts by default uh, when you install Windows. But notice it said the name was autocomplete. That is a script that when you're typing in, let's say, an edit box, and the edit box autocompletes for you, this is what causes that to read that autocomplete. Or a pull down comes down with options, this is what can read those options to you. And the script has user interface that allows the user to define, do I want to hear that autocompleteness? Do I want to hear the pull down? Do I want to hear both? Do I want to hear neither? Whatever. All that is done through this particular script. So it gave me the version. It told me the status is running. The status could be several things. It could be stopped. It could be running with errors. It could be not found. It could be, uh, there's several different types of statuses that can be for a script. Oh, it can be uh, starting. It can be stopping. It can be stopped, starting, running. Then it just gave me the, the script itself, which is autocomplete.vbs. So that tells me that this happens to be a VB script. Application, it's global. So this happens to be a global script. And if it were not global, then there's another column that says window title, and that would tell me the title of this script is associated to. So it would say something like application notepad, title, um, you know, whatever the document name, whatever the title of that particular instance of notepad is would be in the window title column. And then a description that the author can define of what they want to do it. The author of autocomplete wasn't too creative, and they called it autocomplete. <laughs> Aaron is the author of autocomplete, so I can read it. Um, but then I can go down and I'll just see the GW toolkit version 7.6.1 status running script toolkit.vbs application global. So again, the same thing. And this uh, actually I just sounds but for the description, but it's something like a collection of shared objects. GW toolkit is a is a script that we ship automatically with Windows. You automatically get it running. This has a lot of functionality that other scripts can rely on. Those other scripts could have written it themselves, but we put a lot of cool functionality in this toolkit. The, the functionality, like I said, to be able to easily redefine your hotkey for a script or check for updates in a script or produce help for your script. All the, that functionality is built into this shared object, which you can easily use. The source code for all of our scripts is included, including the GW Toolkit. So you could actually look at the source code of all this stuff. It's not 
brain science. It's just um, it's just easy code. It's just something that we felt it was important to have it so that the scripts would have consistency for the user's sake. So all of our scripts, you'll notice all of the scripts pretty much in, uh, that we offer have the same user interface. So if the user wants to change their hotkey, they want to get help and options, whatever, it's very similar look and feel. And so that's important as opposed to every script kind of going off and doing their own thing. So that's the toolkit. And then there's several other scripts in here as well that we'll eventually start talking about and dealing with that. But this is how I can just quickly tell what's going on. If I tab off of this list view. Display scripts, all by name, and radio button, check. One of four. So there are four radio buttons, and this determines what I actually see in my list view. The first one is all by name. So I'm seeing all the scripts that are running, whether they're global or application-specific, I will see them all up there. And they're sorted by name. The other radio button is all by application. So if I wanted to sort them by application in alphabetical order, so I would see all the global scripts together, I would see all the notepad scripts, I would see all the word scripts, I would see all the whatever scripts. Um, there's also a global that would only show me the global scripts that are running. And then there's application... Uh, radio button with the name of the application that had activation when I popped up window eyes. In my case, I was in Windows Explorer. So mine says application Windows Explorer. So when I popped up window eyes with control backslash, window eyes remembered the application and threw its name here. So if I check that radio button, I will only see scripts that are running for that application. So if I were in Word and I popped this up, I would see application Word. I selected, I would only see scripts for Word. So then if I tab off of the radio buttons, show more options. there's Double. a show more options checkbox, which is unchecked. Uh, again, we don't want to overwhelm the beginning user, so I'm going to leave it unchecked for a second. Stop. T. Button. So there's stop right now. So the toolkit was selected, which is probably not a good one to stop because a lot of scripts are dependent on it, but I could do that. If I were to hit uh, enter a space here on the stop button, then whatever script was highlighted up in the list view would then become stopped. Windows would just stop that script. So again, if you just want to do some diagnostic or you're playing with the script, you need to, you modified it and you just want to stop it, you can just do that this way. Select it and then pick stop and it will stop. All the other scripts are still running, just the one you selected will become stopped. If I hit tab again. Help and options, page, button. The help and options is dependent on the script. If the script is written correctly or written well to offer help and options, then it will enable this particular button. If the script wasn't written to offer help and options, or at least through the through our user interface, then this button would become disabled for whatever script that you're sitting on. But I was sitting on the toolkit, so if I hit enter now, it's going to bring up an option. That Launch says, help page button dialog GW toolkit help and options. So this gives me help and options for the GW toolkit, which I had. So the to the script itself is now responsible for popping up this particular dialog, and each script will be unique in itself and how what information displays whether it's help information only or options only or both or whatever may be there. And we'll show you how you can enable your script. It's, it's one line to make that uh, button become enabled inside your script. I want to escape out of the toolkit specific help options. And then if I tab again, close button. I just go to close, which closes the dialog and I'm out of here. But I'm just going to real quickly enable the show more options so I can show you a few more things that this dialog offers. So I'm going to do the shortcut, which is Alt-W. W, show more options. And now when I tab, w. let's see, let me tab. Well, actually, let me select global, so I'm going to do G. global scripts. A new button that came up now is... Unload, load, A, button. Load button allows me to manually load a script. If I'm, if I'm authoring a script, and we'll talk about this in more detail in a little bit, I could use this load option to make the association, whether it be global or application. It will prompt me for a script name. I would type it in, and then Windowize makes the association. From then on, that script will load. That's the manual way to do it. That's not how an end user should do it. 
and we'll, we'll show you how an actual end user does it. But you as a script author, you would create your script, you would go into load, either pick global or application, and then it's going to start up right away. Then there's an equivalent unload, so that removes the association of the script. If the script is running, it will stop it, and then remove the association, so it no longer will be running. File's still on disk, it just won't be running. Uh, then there's another option to do disable, disable which means leave the association there, but don't run the script. So we can see it, well, I'll see it in my list, it'll always show as being disabled, but it won't actually run. So that's good if you just have a, like I always have a test script that I'm always running. Somebody will ask a support question or whatever, I have a test script. I'll just quickly open up that file, do something real quick, and then start it back up again and it'll run. But I don't want it necessarily running all the time but I don't want to necessarily make the association every time. So I just leave the association there, disable it. When I want to play with it, I'll load in the script file, I'll make my changes, I'll re-enable it, and then it's off and running again, and I can test it. So enable and disable then turns to enable if it's already disabled. It's just a toggle button that goes back and forth. So again, whatever particular item is selected in my list view would become disabled. And reload. Is reload. R. Button. Reload is good if, again, I'm a script author and I'm making changes to my script. It's currently running. When I make a change to the script and I save it to disk, my changes don't take effect yet. So I could either stop the script and then start it again, or I could just pick Reload and it will automatically stop and reload that script. So that's just a quick way to get it back in current with what's saved on the hard drive. But that's important to remember that when you make a change to a script and save it to disk, it doesn't necessarily take effect if it's already running. And I go to edit. This will actually take whatever particular file I have selected and open my editor of choice with that file content in my editor. And again, we'll show you more of that. Security. Security, I'm not going to go into much depth, but security is, allows you to pick and choose what scripts you want to run. By default, Windows will run all scripts. It trusts all scripts. It will run all scripts you have installed. But you can say, I only want to run scripts that are um, uh, have a certificate signed by GW Micro. Or I want to, you know, Microsoft or GW Micro or whoever, I could pick and choose my particular certificate. If it's signed and authenticated with that certificate, then it will go ahead and run it. Or I could just individually pick and choose. I could say, this script that my neighbor gave me, I want to go ahead and run it, but I don't want to trust anything else that might happen to get on my system. So I could go and select that particular script and say, trust this script. If anything changes on that script, then it will become untrusted and will not run. And the same is true if you, if you uh, choose to trust GW Micro authenticated scripts, if anything changes in that file, that certificate becomes invalid, it becomes untrusted, Windows will not run that particular script. So that's a great way that you can just individually pick and choose only ones that you trust without anything else going on. And then there's an advanced option which I'm not going to go into. Again, it's designed for script authoring, which we'll get into in a little bit, but uh, I'm going to kind of go past that one. So this is the script manager. Again, a lot of the stuff an end user wouldn't get into. They're not going to be doing the disable and reloads and edits and that kind of stuff, which is why we hide them in the show more options that's up there. Any questions on that one? That's a, it's a big dialogue, but it's, it's got lots of good stuff in there. Um, okay. Um, that's that's all Window from the, um, if I get down so back to manage sets and scripts, that's all of the, there's all, really only three things there that an end user would have to deal with, and that's everything that you've seen there. There are more options that will open up in a little bit, but that's all that they see. So the other question is, how do you get scripts? How do you deal with them? What are they? You know, how, do, how does the user install them? I showed you the dialog to install, but not necessarily how to deal with it. And we also saw, before we did scripting, we saw kind of a weakness out there with um, 
in Freedom Scientific's case because there was no centralized location that a, a JAWS user could go to to determine what, uh, what's available, what can I use. And there's a lot of end users that are trying to do it, but they don't have the cloud to get out there and, and so that everybody sees what's going on. So we created, or I should say Aaron created, a, uh, an interface, a single repository of where we are encouraging everybody to put their scripts that they have. Even if they charge for them, they could put up a demo or they could put up some sort of advertisement that they have it. So that there's one location that a user can go to. And that is jnrmicro.com slash script central, or just SC, abbreviated. Um, either one of those will take you off to the Script Central webpage, and that is the single repository. You can look at all the scripts that are up there. You can browse what's up there. Um, I, I don't know, Aaron, do you want to talk about Script Central since that's your, your baby? Oh, I would love to. The idea behind Script Central was to come up with a place that both developers and uh, script users alike could, uh, could come together and they could discuss scripts, they could download scripts, um, they could do anything related to scripts. So Script Central is not only a script repository, but it's also a, a place where you can comment on scripts, you can rate scripts, you can discuss scripts, you can leave messages for script authors. It really is a community site where scripting can be, uh, can be discussed and, and all that stuff. So, um, like Doug said, if you go to jwmicro.com slash scriptcentral, jwmicro.com slash sc, uh, if you know the name of a script, you can go to gwmicro.com slash scripts slash the name of the script, and you'll get directed to that uh, script page. So it's very easy to get to, even for a specific script. Um, script Central also allows for searching. Uh, you can search for scripts easily by uh, either by searching for a script name, or if you know of a word in the description of the script, you can search for that. Do you have that? You have a lot, don't you? Um, I did, and oh, something was happening to my connection. <laughs> we, we don't have internet connection at the moment here. But <laughs> you can also search if you know the, the author. Um, if you want to look for a GW Micro script, you can search for GW Micro, and you'll get a list of all the scripts specific for that author. Um, another nice thing that Script Central does is it allows you to create your own account. It's free to set up. It allows you to add scripts to your favorites list. If you have favorite scripts and you want to know when those scripts are updated, you can add them to your favorites list and you'll get an email whenever they're updated. Mm -hmm. um, this also, the having an account lets you actually rate scripts. You can't rate scripts unless you have, account, have an account because you want to keep it fair. And uh, so you can rate the scripts depending on uh, how useful you thought it was or, or things like that. Um, and of course, you can comment on scripts. If you thought a script was great, you can let the author know by commenting. If you thought the script was awful, you could let the author know by commenting. And those comments let other people know how, how the script is, whether it's worth their time to download it and see if they should use it. Um, and of course, script authors can upload uh, new scripts. They can modify existing scripts. There's a change log that uh, anytime you update a script, you can keep track of the changes that are in your new version so that people can go back and see what's changed. Um, it also keeps track of previous versions, so if you release a script that has a pretty nasty problem accidentally, um, users can go back to the previous version until you get the problem fixed. Um, you can uh, contact script authors through Script Central, so there's, uh, you don't have to share email addresses and things like that. If you want to be available to your users, but you don't necessarily want your email address out there, then your uh, script users can, uh, can use Script Central itself to actually uh, send emails to you. And the Script Central also links into the, um, the, the uh, GW Micro forum page, which is uh, uh, a community, another community area where you can discuss scripts. Each script has its own uh, individual discussion page, as, and there's also some general discussion pages for general script discussion and, and uh, things like that. So that's Script Central in a nutshell. 
Yeah, the, the um, comments that we've received on it have been tremendous as far as the quality of it and just the ability of being able to go to one place. So I can't stress enough that, that that's a huge difference than what we've seen in the past. And uh, people are definitely taking advantage of it. It's great to see. I mean, we've got, from all countries, we've got stuff submitted up there. And it also, you can localize these things, and you'll see that, oh, this script is in Polish, and oh, this one's in French, and whatever. You can, you know, you have all that ability. And uh, Script Central itself is available in Polish and Turkish, which has been kind of an exciting <laughs> thing to do. So we have more, many more coming here soon. Um, so that's, what, that's, that's where you can go get it. Then also, if you are a script author, you can sign up to our GW-scripting email list which has been very um, verbal here lately, very active. Uh, very active, that's what I'm trying to think of, in a positive way, where, I mean, it's just a great resource where you can go talk to other, maybe maybe blind authors that are out there, or not blind, it doesn't matter, we're all monitoring it, Aaron's on it, I'm on it, we've got our main developer who's on it and has been commenting, uh, again, you don't see that from other screen readers, you don't have access to the main developer, you don't have access to the owner of the company, you just don't see that where we have this. And so a lot of good discussions are going on about that. And right, um, one of the latest things was going on was uh, Jay McCarty, right, is um, the author of a JavaScript. He wrote a script to support Java as opposed to using the Java, um, the um, Sun, Sun um, Java Access Bridge. He created his own environment to make Java work. That was a huge discussion that went around on that. People now are talking about creating some scripts using um, VB.net and creating some scripts on dealing with that and going back and forth. So there's all sorts of good topics. No question, you know, ever gets, it's never, don't feel embarrassed to ask a question on that list because there's a lot of people that are in the same situations and it's just a very helpful list. And again, we monitor it, so we post a, a tremendous amount to that list as well. That concludes this edition of Main Menu. We trust you've enjoyed the program. On behalf of Jeff Bishop and the entire Main Menu team, I'm Jamie Pauls wishing you and yours a great week.